So a few years, years ago, it could be five, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly, but one of our staff members was tasked with the idea of a team building exercise. We'll call her Rebecca. <laughs> and so she got this bright idea that uh, we should go high rope climbing, high rope trekking, treetop trekking. Now, if anybody knows anything about my life, you will know that I would rather bag rattlesnakes with the late Jimmy DeYoung or uh, play a full body contact hockey game against particularly guys wearing Montreal Canadian jerseys than to actually go on anything that is high. Me and heights don't work out so well. That's why God made me short. So I, I, don't, I don't like lofty positions. And so, if you were to see a close-up of that, you would notice that I'm white-knuckling the whole thing. But if you, if you know anything about this, this particular exercise, they put you in a harness and tether you to the top so that it's impossible for you to fall and hurt yourself. But my mind was unwilling to tell me that fact. And throughout the whole thing, I walked that journey as if I was not safe and not tethered to the top. And so I didn't enjoy the experience. But there's no way that, let's call her Rebecca, <laughs> or Pastor Steve for that matter, was going to complete this course and I wasn't. I find that there's a lot of people who are going through their Christian experience in life not recognizing that they have a lifeline. And they live out their lives white-knuckling it when, in fact, Jesus has got them. So I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to a most amazing text in Scripture in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 6 through 15 this morning. And we want to look here at three reminders of what we have in Christ and how to benefit from it. Three reminders of what we actually have in Christ and how we need to benefit from it. Because life is a high ropes expedition. It really is. But for the Christian, we have a lifeline. And we ought to live our lives in light of that reality. In Colossians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, 
who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of God. Our Father this morning We have a most excellent text open before us, one that encourages our our hearts, encourages the heart of every believer, the amazing things that you have done for us, how you have set us free to live with joy in our hearts, with songs of thanksgiving, with victory over sin, and victory over every power that comes against us. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for not accessing all that we have in you, for not benefiting, for white-knuckling through life when, in fact, Lord, you have set us free. I pray this morning, Lord, that this will be a transformative morning for all of us as we hear the word of God and the spirit of God manifests the presence of God in our lives to such a degree, Lord, that we will walk in newness of life before you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me dive right in. Paul says here, so then, right? So then, so then what? So then, just as you receive Christ... You have received a secure salvation. So secure that secure salvation you have received in the all-sufficient Christ. What we're going to learn today is that God has done everything that we need to benefit from all that is available in Christ. But we have to engage in the responsibilities that are ours. And the first is this, so then, to actually claim that you have received or welcomed Christ into your life as Lord, you must follow through. You must continue living. See what it says here? Continue to live in him. There's a responsibility cast on us. Now that you have received this gift for which you did not not do anything except receive it by God's grace, you must now follow through with what you have received. By the way, you didn't receive a religion. You didn't receive an agenda. You didn't receive a a way of thinking. You received, do you see here, a person, Christ Jesus as Lord. You received a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our first priority. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. This is a relationship we have. So now that you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, which is secure, you've received this, you need to follow through. 
It's on you now. It's on me. Christ has given the gift of himself to you. It's now on you to experience all that there is to have with that, to live Two things we have to do right out of verse 6 and 7. We have to live for Christ and we have to overflow in thankfulness. Now let's look at this live for Christ. What's that look, look like? Rooted. The um, word here actually means that the difference between receiving Christ and just sort of believing in a religion or some sort of movement is that you have received some vitality. You received something alive in your life. You've received uh, a, a, a living spiritual life. We say people, you know, I, I think he's come to know Christ. Or I think she's come to know Christ. Why? Well, because they've, they've come alive to, to spiritual things. They've, they've come alive to the Word of God. They've come alive to, to the interest in, in Jesus Christ and all that He has. There's, there's a life in them, alive in Christ. They've come alive to the Word of God, alive to worship, alive to witness. There's a life. The, the tense here is that, that something has, has been done for you in the past. You've been rooted now in Christ, and it has lingering effects that can be seen in your life. You know, people, you, you meet people who say, I, I think they know Jesus Christ. There's, there's something alive about them. Or, or people say, well, you know, they, they walked an aisle when they were six years old in a church, but they see no life of Christ in them. This, this Christianity is something that you're rooted in. And, and now that's an alive root, vitality. But not only are you now, now that you're rooted, it's your responsibility to be built up in him. And by the way, again, this is the tenses of all of this are passive tenses, which, which means that God does the work on you as you engage in the things that you're supposed to. It's God who does the spiritual work. You can't do the spiritual work in your, in your life. It's God that does the work in you, but it's you that cooperates with what needs to be done to, to make it, to, to open up the, the possibilities of spiritual life happening to you. So this idea of built up in him means feeding the roots, feeding what's alive in you, fine spiritual dining. Our brother Richard Chinfat came this morning expecting some fine spiritual dining. And here it is, fine spiritual dining, going where there is good food, Self-study, studying the word of God, group growth and accountability with one another, congregational gathering and hearing uh, the shepherds of the church feed you the word of God. This is what is building you up, growing you up. The results are being done for you as you engage in spiritual exercises. That's how God works. That's how God builds you up. And then also being strengthened in the faith. Again, God strengthening our faith. We spend so much of our lives working out all of our situations all by ourselves and all by our sweat equity, white-knuckling it. We don't spend enough time waiting and watching and depending on the Lord. We spend a lot of time running around, running ahead of him, 
trying to use our resources to get stuff done and never really experiencing what it means to have your faith strengthened. We have so much in our country. We have so many things. We, we pray, oh God, give us our daily bread, but we already have a freezer full. And, and so it's imperative for us because there are many things in our lives where we could just pause, wait on the Lord, and, and learn how to wait and see the Lord provide, see the Lord lead us, see the Lord show us what he wants for us, instead of always running around being our own solution. I think Paul's recommending that to us here. Because there will come a day when your resources will not be enough, when your savvy will not be good enough, when your experiences will not be good enough for you, and you need to have been strengthened in the faith so that when that moment arrives, and it will, you know how to wait on the Lord. You know how to watch for Him. You know how to truly, truly experience what our faith is all about, which is depending on the Lord. And see what the Lord gives you instead of solving your own situation. So that's what living in Christ is. It's being rooted, engaging in building up things, and learning how to trust God, waiting for Him, watching for Him, seeing what He brings to you, seeing where He wants you to go and what He wants you to do. But also, and, you see what he says here? And overflowing with thankfulness. This, uh, this idea here is like a river that's overflowing its banks. We're to be in the, in the realm of thankfulness like rivers. God's people would be like rivers that are overflowing their banks all the time with thankfulness. Why is thankfulness so, so important? And it, it, it's highlighted so often in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul really camps on thankfulness a lot. Again, let's not forget where he is. He's in prison, and he's not writing something that he's not living out in his own life. I can tell you that right now. He is overflowing with thankfulness in chains in prison. Why is that so important? If, you, if we were to take the time, which we're not going to, but I'm going to encourage you in your DC groups, in Romans chapter 1, it talks there about how drift happens in our lives. How, how does drift away from God happen in this world? Drift away from God happens when people stop thanking God. When we stop being grateful for what God has done for us, when we stop being grateful for what we see around us that is from the, the hand, the good hand of God, we stop following the Lord. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
be thankful for him, that he can be trusted. Make certain that we understand that gratitude always produces contentment. When I am overflowing with thankfulness toward the Lord, I am also filled with contentment. And when I'm filled with contentment, it prevents me from being disloyal to the Lord. It prevents me from, from going after other things, from replacing God with other cravings, alternative things. I retain my loyalty to God through my thankfulness to Him. So that's why overflowing in thankfulness is so important. And once again, it's on us. God will not make you be thankful but the results of thankfulness God will cause to stir your hearts to loyalty toward the living God. Gratitude produces contentment which firewalls disloyalty. So then, live in Christ and overflow in thankfulness. This is how you do it. But secondly, he says here, see to it. So, the second responsibility that we have now is see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it, he's saying, is that you should benefit from what having as much of God as is possible means when your mind is under attack. The favorite source of the enemy of our souls is through our mind to get to our mind. And um, people love to know things. That's the way we are. We're curious. We're, we're always interested in discovering things. We want to know things. We want to we know what's going on. And, and, and philosophy is literally, the word means, love of wisdom. There's not a lot of love of wisdom out there, but there's a lot of love of information. And, and people like to know, especially, especially people are intrigued by something that's novel. They're really interested in novel or some secret revelations or something of this nature. People want to be in on something, on the in of what's, what's out there, what's, what's the, the latest uh, scuttlebutt. And, and so we are, we are at risk, our minds are at risk of being abducted every day. And taken captive, uh, away from our pure, the pure thinking that we should have toward the Lord. And we need to know something before we launch into understanding what, what we need to do with terms of this, this um, onslaught of attempts to, captiv to, to captivate our minds. Is that when we have come to know Jesus Christ... We have now been placed in union with all the resources that the living God has at his disposal. When we come to, came to union with Jesus Christ, we already have been granted access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Now that doesn't mean that there's not other information that is out there, but it does simply mean to us that, that we have direct access through our relationship with Jesus Christ 
to all the resources of the triune God. Can we please understand what we have? This has been granted to us. Christ is not just God-like. Christ is God. And we have been put in union with him. This verse, verse 9, is a stunning revelation, certainly to that early group of, uh, of people in Colossae, that ancient group of people, and, and should continue to, to just stir our soul that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God has chosen to dwell in Christ Jesus. He is not just God-like, he is God. And we, and you, look what it says in verse 10, have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. You have been, in, you are in communion with Christ and therefore have full access to all that Christ has in terms of the resources of God. So these attempts to take us captive need to be recognized by us and rejected. And, and here, here's, here's the attempts the, the, to drag you back into spiritual enslavement again. You've been set free. And none of these things in any way address sin or redemption or anything. None, none of the things that are available in this world will help your soul. They will just pollute your mind. And I want you to notice how Paul articulates them, hollow and deceptive philosophy. First of all, it depends on human tradition. The attack of human tradition. Now this was particularly um, specific to Colossian Jewish believers who'd come out of Judaism and were at risk constantly. The constant, and, and I was with a, a missionary to Israel yesterday, and we, we had a great conversation. This still exists in Israel to this very day, where believers are coming out of Judaism and struggling to, to say no to the traditions that they formally, uh, formally practiced in order to be right with God, instead of fully embracing the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And this continues to dog particularly those in those settings or, or those people who've come out of particularly liturgical backgrounds, who have high church backgrounds, where there's all kinds of, of rituals and things that you go through, sort of religious gyrations, that, that somehow eclipse at times the... the the relationship we need to have with Christ that, is, that is, has no barriers between it, that we have full access to Christ. We don't have to go through things or around things or sniff things or wave things. Or we don't, we don't have, none of that gets us to Christ. These traditions, which Paul calls human traditions, idols, ancestor worship, 
worship of angels. That this was going on at the time. We, we, there was a little bit of that happening in, in, in our day. And the whole idea was that old is good and new is not. And so everything that was the, the New Testament, the, the, the newness of Christ and what Christ had done for them was, was that they were struggling with. We wanted to go back to human traditions, religious traditions. But now, of course, in our day and age, old is not in, new is it. It's all about new. Well, it's not old and it's not about new, it's about Christ. Christ is it. And that's what Paul is teaching here. Ceremonies and rituals can be distracting from Christ. And we're continually seeking to captivate and pollute their minds. But the second one here that I think is more particularly um, relevant to our situation today is this one called elementary things of this world or basic principles, the NIV puts it, basic principles of this world. The attacks of elementary things of, no, of this world, Paul makes it. Now what is this? This has gained very, very hard um, to translate and interpret exactly, but we have enough. Um, we have enough scholarship to help us with this. Basically, this is, in a nutshell, when you are seeking to use the elementary things of this earth, the material elementary things of this earth to explain how the world exists. So it's the ABCs, it's the, it's the, the basic elements, the basic created elements by the living God of this wor- in this world, material things. What we see around us is all kinds of people theorizing, okay? This re- really is about the theories of this world, the theories on how people came to be. The, th- the theories on, on how the universe came to be. The, the theories on, on why our relationships are so um, in conflict. The theories of why there is racism in the world. All these theories that are being put together based on the elementary or basic material building blocks of the world to explain why the world is the way it is the elementary things of this world. And particularly uh, relevant and germane to us is our, as one writer puts it, our, biolog- our, our, our biologized world. Everything ex- is explained in this world by the elements that God himself created. And the theories take that the elements of this world are responsible for all that we see. So the theories of this world are to grant to the elements that God has created the actual power to create. So the elementary things, rather than reveal God or show us God, are being used to replace God. And so we live in this world right now that says follow the science. That science has become 
the religion of the modern world or the postmodern world. But that science has as its basic foundation the idea of the elementary principles of this world. And the idea is to replace God with the elementary principles of this world to explain how everything is taking place. And we are constantly being bombarded. By the way, I'm not anti-science. Science is my, next to theology, is my very favorite subject. Theology is the queen of the sciences. But science is important. The, the, the importance of science and the breakdown of the basic elementary principles of this world is that we might be able to demonstrate to the world the revelation of the Lord God. Because the basic elementary principles of this world actually point to a living, real God. That's what science is meant to do. Science is meant to tell us the truth that we see in this world the living God. That everything that we see points to the living God. Their presupposition is that there is no God. So every element explains away God as opposed to explaining and revealing God. Paul says stay away from this stuff. You're simply at the mercy of self-serving forces. In some cases, in some parts of the world, it's the elementary spirits of this world. And Paul reminds us, Jesus Christ, who we have, is the head over every power and every authority. So there's the, the operative idea here is the elementary things of this world versus the truth of God. Now, the creators laid down an operating manual on how things work. And the, the science of the elementary principles is, is intended to show us how this world works according to God. The creator himself is the one who's given us the operating manual. There is no other discipline in all the world that says to the creator of that discipline or that whatever they've created... We are not interested in your operating manual. In fact, we're going to try to explain away how you created what you created. People would look at each other and say, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. That's what this world does with God every single day because of their worship of the elementary principles of this world. And, and, and so... Um, Paul calls all of this hollow and deceptive philosophy, not according to Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul knew something about philosophies. The Greek world that he was steeped in was full of philosophy. We know the philosophers of the past. Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. These philosophers still impact our civilization to this day. But the Apostle Paul is making this abundantly clear that any philosophy that excludes Christ is hollow. Okay? Any philosophy, any teaching, any basic elements 
elementary teaching that excludes Christ is hollow and deceptive. Can we believers finally embrace that in our hearts and our lives? If the starting point of anything you are being taught, anything that you're learning, anything, anything that you're philosophizing, the starting point isn't Christ, it's hollow and deceptive and should not be allowed to take our minds captive. The great tragedy of our day and age now is that the great institutions have been hijacked by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And when I say the great institutions, I'm including the church. The church, education, medicine, law, all of them have been hijacked by hollow and deceptive philosophies that don't start with Christ. So God help us. Any system in philo- or philosophy or teaching that conflicts with the truth about God or seeks to explain away Christ is to be rejected. So the final, the final point is this, and it, it's, it's a rousing um, uh, triumph of what Christ has done for us. Um, again, as the criticisms were being heaped upon this young church and Jews who had who had convert, converted to, to Christ and were following Christ. And, and um, you know, they were being bombarded by uh, all kinds of uh, criticism and opposition. In particular, for them, you haven't been circumcised. You can't possibly be pleasing to God because you, you, you in this new uh, community that you have, you, have, you haven't been circumcised. You can't possibly be part uh, of who Christ is. Now, let's understand that Old Testament circumcision was a symbol of sin removal. And the idea of purity and loyalty to God. It was a, it was a ritual and a ceremony that was placed upon the, the, the people of God as it looked ceremonially to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. All of the ceremonies, all of the rituals. If you don't understand that, you won't understand the New Testament. If you don't understand the New Testament, you don't really understand the Old Testament. That's how it works. The the New Testament is an explanation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the, the, the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so, what Christ has done for us here is, is particularly amazing in terms of, of, of silencing this argument. And so th- and our third point here is that we need to choose to live free of harmful powers that formerly held your physical desires captive. When you came to Christ, when you came into a relationship with Christ, all of the harmful powers that were against you and that formerly enslaved you have been disarmed. And your desires have been changed. The great news for Christians is this. We have received a better circumcision. I'm going to explain. It says it right here in the text. I'm going to explain in a moment. With eternal results, 
rather than just external results, okay? We've been set free from all powers over us. And you have already been made alive to real freedom in Christ because of what Christ has done for you. And hear me carefully here. Freedom from sin, in the the New Testament, freedom from the power of sin is the marker, the marker that you have become connected to Christ. Now, now we have been pressing this issue in every possible which way. But I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, um, once again, highlight how critically important this reality is. In the New Testament, freedom from enslavement to sin is the marker that you are actually really connected to Christ. Why do I say that? Verse 11, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised. In the putting off of, I like better the flesh as opposed to the sinful nature, because the word there is flesh. It it can be translated sinful nature. And you'll probably see in your margin of your Bibles, it says, or the flesh. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature of the flesh, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, like the Old Testament, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now look at here's what happened. When Christ went to the cross for us, we are no longer alive to sin if we come into relationship with him. We are no longer alive to sin. It has been circumcised at the cross by Christ. Christ literally took your flesh the flesh that was captive to sin, that was captivated by the desires to sin and took it to the cross. In the same picture of the Old Testament, the symbol of sin removal, he took it to the cross and there crucified it so that you are no longer alive. You were formerly dead in your trespasses and sins. You are now alive to Christ and dead to sin. Does that mean you never sin? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is you're no longer enslaved to sin, nor do you have to sin. You have the power through Christ to say no to sin and yes to righteousness every single time. That's the glory of this. This is the benefit of this. This is the greatness of this. We were dead, but now we are not. We now, we used to have no spiritual sensitivity to God. We ran off and and chose sin to medicate our lives. We no longer have that pull in our lives if we are connected to Christ. If you have that pull in your life, you may not be connected to Christ. The uncleanness that had you captive has been cut off. 
at the, cro- at the cross. Or the cross is a sham, beloved. The cross is literally a sham if this isn't true. Because this is how, this is the theology of the cross that I'm telling you here. It's plain before your very eyes. This is what the cross meant. This is what the cross means to us. This is the power that has been granted to us. This is the enslavement that has been eradicated from our lives. And at your baptism, at my baptism, we held a funeral for our flesh. That's what, that's what baptism is. It's the ceremony that symbolizes what happened in your life when you came to know Christ. We were buried, our Sin flesh was buried at our conversion and we were raised to new life with Christ. At the cross, Christ took our sin, our flesh, and crucified it and rose again victorious. We identify with that in baptism. You gave your sin nature a funeral service at your baptism. Why do you live anymore to it? You were raised to new life. It's a glorious picture. The the depth of baptism theologically is not mined in any one baptism service. When Christ has given to us the ordinances of the Lord's table and baptism, he has given us extreme deep theology that is acted out, reminding us of who we are and what we have. And no longer are we manipulated by guilt because he forgave us. Your debt was canceled entirely at the cross by God. Listen, in the ancient days, if you owed somebody a debt, you would write that out, the debt, I owe you, an IOU. We know this, an IOU, and you would sign that. This is the debt that you owe. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took our IOU with him. And normally, of course, when you were punished, that IOU, if you didn't pay up your debt, that IOU would go on that cross. The only IOU that was on the cross with Jesus Christ that the pagans wrote was, he's king of the Jews. That was no sin, because that's exactly who he was. But the other, the thieves, had written on what they had done, the, the IOU, the debt that they owed to society. Jesus Christ took our IOUs to the cross with him and nailed them to the cross. Listen, when the ancients forgave an IOU that was signed, a debt that was signed, they nailed, a, put a nail through it saying it is canceled. The debt is canceled. When Christ went to the cross, he took your IOU with him and nailed it on the cross. Oh, My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? This is what we have. 
Sin now has no power over you. It holds no guilt for you. There is now no condemnation to you who are in Christ Jesus. You are free to live. And finally, you are no longer threatened by harm, harmful powers. They were all disarmed and made a public spectacle of, uh, by Christ at the cross. Listen, when, when evil forces possess the organizers of Calvary, not this Calvary, but that Calvary with Jesus. It was in their minds that they were going to put this Jesus Christ on public spectacle and that they were going to kill this one who claimed to be the one and only living God. And they dragged him to the cross. And it looked to all the world like it was death and defeat and doom and gloom. But the truth of the matter, as Jesus was moving to that cross, he was heading to his victory chariot. The cross of Calvary was the victory chariot of Christ. He turned the tables on the evil forces. And it says in the text here that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Christ took that horrible event as God only could do and turned it. When they dragged Jesus to the cross, the evil forces sealed their own defeat and doom and destruction. And they became a public spectacle, beloved. No longer are we fearing those junior powers and forces. We don't live in fear or threats of them. Our great Christ has triumphed over all powers and all authorities and has set us free that we might be free indeed. Christians are not saved to be ashamed Christians are not saved to be embarrassed. Christians are not saved to be whipped and beaten. Christians are not saved to be a public spectacle of defeat. Oh, woe is me, hanging our heads all over town. We are not meant to cower and cringe and be afraid and insecure and under the thumb of junior powers. We are not to be humiliated by absurd ideologies and philosophies. We are not dupes anymore to the power of sin. We have been set free by Jesus Christ to live a life of victory on the high ropes of life, living as if we have a lifeline and enjoying our lives to the glory of God. That's who we are. Well, I must quit. Our Father and our God, this is so glorious, it's hard to stop. But thank you for the truth of your word. We love you so much. You have given us everything in Christ Jesus. May we, Lord, no longer remain captive to those things you've set us free from. By the power of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. So just a reminder, I was on those high ropes, tethered to a lifeline, and I spent the whole time functioning as if I wasn't, and it was miserable.
And unfortunately, that's the way so many believers are living their lives. You are tethered to the lifeline to live free, to enjoy the life that God has given to you. If you want to come and talk to one of our pastors about your life and where you're at, we'll be right here. We'll pray with you. Or in the connections room right following. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ and what he has done to set us free. We are free indeed in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.